Superbrain is a labour of love. Alas, no podcast can survive on love alone. We don't have a sponsor, so we need your support for Superbrain to stay alive and kicking. You can make a one-off donation by following the Support This Show link in the show or episode description. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello and welcome to Superbrain, the podcast for everyone with a brain. My name is Sabina Brennan and my guests this week are Philippa and Helen Ryder, a truly inspirational couple who can teach us all a thing or two about thriving and surviving in life. Expect the unexpected. Philippa! Thank you so much for joining me and for agreeing to be my guest on Superbrain. I never feel nervous before an episode, before talking to guests. Um, I actually feel a teeny bit nervous uh, today because you're my friend (laughs) and it's kind of weird. Thank you very much for inviting me anyway, Sabina, and it's a pleasure to be on. And thank you for considering me your friend as well. So that's good. <laughs> so it's kind of just odd because we have known each other a few years and we've been in each other's houses. You've helped celebrate my son's wedding and um, we've been out to dinner. And I, in a way, I'm going to ask you questions that because I'm interviewing that I wouldn't ask you when we're friends. Do you know what I mean? Because we're just friends and you just talk about kind of everyday stuff. But I think you've a really interesting life story. And I think my listeners would be very interested in your story, but in you as a person. This podcast is about talking to interesting, inspiring people about thriving and surviving in life. And I think you are inspirational. And I think that you um, have managed to thrive in consequences where others might even struggle to survive, to be perfectly honest. But before I kind of go to that, aspect of things, I'd kind of like to create a sense and a picture of who you are as an individual, as a human being. And this is something that I don't know much about in your life is what was your childhood like? How many brothers and sisters? Were you a lively child? What were your interests? Okay. Um, I was a bit nerdish growing up, still am to some degree. I have one sister. We had a very good relationship growing up. Um, we had some challenges in our lives, both of us, and uh, we've come through and we were pretty positive people overall. Um, but as regards my actual childhood, I wouldn't say I was a loner. I would prefer to think that I chose my friends very, very carefully. And when I found soulmates, people that I could really talk to and bear my soul to I latched onto them and I held on to them and this is just witnessed by the fact that one of my school friends is still a very very close friend and he was he was the first friend that I told about my situation um, and it was that was quite a scary quite a, an emotional evening for both of us um, so my interests growing up then were science fiction science 
did play a little bit of sport because my father encouraged me to play tennis. But then I was equally drawn to sports like chess. And I was on the school team for both chess and tennis. Wow. So I kind of had a, yeah, I had a rounded um, a rounded childhood in that sense. Um, mm-hmm. But of course, there were issues underneath that I wasn't even admitting to myself at that stage. Okay, and I will come back to those in a few minutes, but I'm actually really interested in what you said about the friendship. We've talked about this on the podcast before. You know, some people need lots of friends. Some people, Mm. one really good friend is sufficient. But to hear you say that you were quite selective and you use the term soulmates, I think that's very important. It, It was the quality of friendship that mattered to you rather than the quantity of friendship. And that seems like a really mature thing for a child to understand yeah um i mean i didn't consciously choose this it's just yeah it just it's just the way i had yeah yeah, i i I mean i had some friends who were just peripheral um who say i play football with occasionally or or maybe tennis tennis partners but my close friends were few and far between and when as i say when i recognized kindred spirit in these people then I very much kept them. And I do envy that, that you still have this friend from childhood because um, I don't actually. Uh, There was kind of a point in my Mm. life where there was kind of two main schools in our area where people went to. And uh, due to a sort of like a clerical error, all my close friends went to the other school and I went to a different school. So I kind of lost all of those friends that I'd been in school with since I was four and really kind of actually sent me off in a very strange trajectory. And it's something that I have... I don't have that many regrets, but that's uh, it's not something that I did. There wasn't anything I had control over at the time. But I Mm. really do envy people who have those friendships, people who know you from when you were four. That's (laughs) kind of an incredible bond that just exists anyway. And you also know we go through so many transitions as human beings and as we grow and mature that for somebody who's who's lived through that with you. There's a lovely sense of comfort, I think, to be gained from that. There absolutely is. And um, indeed, I've got two two friends like that. One who turned out to be gay, who I didn't know when we were growing up. Right. And his, his revelation to me was life-changing in one sense for me, in that it allowed me, because this was in the 70s in Ireland. Wow. And, and did he come out to you in the 70s? He did. Wow. He came out to me in Beaulieu's Grafton Street and I bumped into him there the other week and we were discussing it and he denies that he told me age 14, but I know he did. Because, <laughs> because it, it resonated it. with you. Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, it for people, and actually the funny thing is I'm reading um, John Boyne's book, it follows a gay man's life right through to the. To I have the book. Day. I haven't read it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, yeah. Really, really interesting book for anyone who's listening outside of Ireland. Being homosexual was still criminalized in Ireland right up until actually the early nineties. I think my own son was alive for about two years when it was still uh, criminal. So for somebody to actually talk openly or mention it back in the seventies was quite striking. So one of the things you touched on it there that I am interested in is that you said there was things going on underneath that you sort of hadn't dealt with or or maybe even weren't aware of. I mean, I would love to hear and understand that in terms of something that you've dealt with as an adult. But do you think in hindsight 
I suppose you and I are born in a very different era to kids born today that are going through Mm. some of these issues. Certainly, it's never easy, but a little bit easier for people. You know, the support's in place and there's access to information if you are struggling with issues that weren't around when we were growing up. But I am curious to know, yes, did you have... Any indication, did you have a sense that something wasn't quite fitting, the pieces weren't fitting together properly? I don't know if that's the right way to say it. Yeah, no, it absolutely is. I mean, there's no there's no right way to to describe the feelings that I had at the time, because everybody had a slightly different experience. I mean, we we all developed to whatever stage in in our transition that we that we are at now. But for me as a child, I always felt found myself drawn to girls and girls games and I'd regularly be playing hopscotch with the girls on the road whereas the boys would be out playing football and I'd be torn wanting to go with the boys but something deep deep within me saying no you should be with the girls and then also being accepted into their circles because maybe they saw something in me that I wasn't even acknowledging within myself. So for that reason, it was a very difficult period in my life from about age, I'd say about age nine or 10, which it made the whole puberty and growing up as a teenager even more difficult. So going back, just to ask, did you go to a same-sex school? Oh, yes, it was. Yeah, it was a same-sex yeah. school, yeah. Yeah, there was very few mixed schools. I mean, I'm sure for some people listening, you know, go, what do you mean same-sex mm. school? But we, <laughs> we have this very weird yeah, history in Ireland where boys go to boys' schools and girls go to girls' schools and co-eds is what they actually became called, <laughs> which is a very strange yeah. way to segment society and probably adds to difficulties where people don't identify or fit neatly into either Mm. of those sectors. So that would mean then, so when you're growing up, the only time you had with girls would be playing on the street. Yeah, yeah. And I had some very close girlfriends as well. And I purposely separate the two words because they weren't girlfriends. They were girlfriends. Yeah, Yeah, friends who were girls. Uh, (laughs) Yes, yes. And uh, again, it it was almost like I was a natural part of their circle. And that confused me even more. So it was different. Yeah. And can I ask you, because I'm just thinking what life was like, because I I think we're similar in age. I'm 58. So we would have grown up in the same sort of society in, in Ireland and thinking back, you know, playing games on the street. And it was very much the girls hung around in a gang and the guys hung around in a gang. And mm-hmm. then sometimes they yeah. mixed. Sometimes there were some games that you could play together. We used to play Kirby's, you know, where you'd throw the ball across the road and bounce it back. And Absolutely. you could play chasing yeah. and Red Rover. But then there was other games where it was kind of just girls. Girls would play balls against the walls, which sounds really, really weird. Mm. And I, I forget mm. here that nobody can see us. <laughs> <laughs> but it's two tennis balls and you used to uh, almost do like juggling with them and elastics yeah. and hopscotch, as you said. But the games were actually pretty gendered. So it must have been in some regard brave of you to play hopscotch with the girls in one aspect because I'm imagining now and I don't know what were the boys like to you when they discovered you wanted to play hopscotch with the girls or did it not 
make any difference to anybody. I don't, yeah, I don't think it mattered that much. I certainly didn't get bullied by any of the boys. I think they just kind of rolled their eyes and went, oh, okay, go on, you go up yeah. to the girls and we'll go. Maybe there was, don't forget, this was, as I say, uh, I was 11, 12. There could have been even a little bit of jealousy from the other right, boys. Right, of course, because yes. Everybody was feeling the hormones coursing yeah. through them. And hang on a second, how come he is getting yeah. to go with the girls and we're stuck playing football on the field? You right, know? okay, yes, yes, so, yes. And that about, does make sense. Yeah, that's a positive way to look at it. And, <laughs> um, I did enjoy that to some degree. But then, as I say, it was more that I was seen as a friend rather than a potential yeah, um, yeah. boyfriend or whatever. Yeah. So take me then through to your to your teen years. I mean, I'm familiar a bit more with your later mm, life and, mm. and that sort of thing, but I can't help but wonder, just as a parent, the challenges for kids who, you know, don't fit into these boxes that society has created, mm. these binary boxes. How, I mean, as you said, teenage years are incredibly challenging anyway. How were your teenage years? What was going through your head? Was anything going through your head? Were there thoughts coming up and you were pushing them back down? Or was there just a sense of not feeling right? I'm kind of trying to imagine myself in that sense. Because the funny thing is, I think with teenagers, we all feel a bit off. Mm. I mean, I remember thinking, I don't belong in this family. These can't be my real parents. <laughs> no, but do you know what I mean? Because you see differences. Yeah. But I'm yeah. really interested to gain some insight into how it felt for you. Right. Well, all of the above, basically. Um, I found my teenagers extremely confusing, challenging. I had... I wondered about myself, but I, in a minor way, because as you said, everybody going through teenage years feels that there's something odd, there's something something different about them. So I didn't know any different because my sister is younger than me, so I didn't have her experience. Um, my friends, well, I mean, boys just wouldn't talk about feelings or anything like that. And when I got talking to the girls, they were talking about things that I wasn't understanding, like periods and, right. you know. So I was kind of caught in the middle. I had nobody really to talk to about what I was feeling inside. And uh, certainly couldn't. Can I just ask you, so you were saying. I couldn't mention it. To anybody. Yeah. But what is it that. Mm. Because I think as well, to just sort of say, people, cast your mind back, this is a time before the internet. This is a time, you know, mm. where a trip to the mm. library might have taken place once a month for a, a school project or, you know, maybe something like that. <laughs> like there's no access. There's nowhere you can go for any information. You can't like you can now just type in a word. Mm. I'm feeling mm. this. And actually your sentence is finished for you and you can find a ream yeah. of information. So. What was it you were wondering about yourself? Was it you're comparing yourself to other boys or comparing yourself to girls? Or what was the thing that you were concerned about? Or can you name that even? Well, absolutely. I mean, from about age 10 or 11, I started wearing, first of all, my sister's clothes and then my mother's clothes. Okay. And any time that I saw anything like this on television or in the newspapers, it was always that the person doing this 
was gay. Oh, right. Okay. And I knew that I wasn't gay. And from the attitudes of my parents, I realized that I was going to get absolutely zero support from them. No understanding. All they would be worried about would be what would the neighbors think? What would the relations think? Oh, my God. So I had nobody to talk to about this, which is why, if I can just refer back to my friend who came out to me as gay, that at age 14 or 15 was absolutely massive for me. Okay. Because prior to that, it had only been tabloid newspapers or sensationalist television or Dick Emery. God, some of the listeners certainly won't know Dick Emery. Yeah, yeah, Dick yeah. Emery or La Larry Grayson or any of yeah. the really flamboyant gay men on television. And every time they came on, my parents would, oh, my God, look at that, look at that. Yeah, in the uh, negative. Turn it off. Yeah, in the negative, very much in yeah. the negative. Yeah. And also then, so obviously I'm imagining then as well, if you're trying on your sister's and your mum's clothes, you're having to do that in secret. And with that then comes this fear of getting caught and this sense mm -hmm. of, guilt I'm sure and shame huge guilt you know I mean obviously there shouldn't be any shame but I can mm. just only imagine mm. yeah absolutely Sabina it was a secret that literally could not be told and I mean that's a that's a common phrase that's so, the yeah yeah it, it absolutely was um I would have been horrified I my heart was beating each time my mother would came into my room if I thought perhaps one of the little skirts that I had or a little bit of lingerie or whatever she might have found that and I didn't want to upset her I didn't want to let her down um, and yeah. I wanted to be the perfect child um, and yet I had this and how could I reconcile the two it was yeah. very very difficult yeah. And I mean, I think that applies across the board, you know, aside from gender issues or sexual orientation mm -hmm. issues. You know, I mean, I've come across people who have become doctors because that's what mommy and daddy wanted, <laughs> not what mm -hmm. they want. Yeah. You know, and they're yeah. a huge yeah. life issue. So um, and I think that stays with us. We still always want to please our parents. So it's very challenging if you don't fit the model that they have pre-prepared that you're supposed to be like. So that's quite challenging. And I think it's also even challenging, you know, even if you have a family that are supportive, you know, I know in my own case with my own son who's gay, you know, I had my suspicions and I kind of opened the door both physically, metaphorically, in every <laughs> sense to say, come walk through mm -hmm. this. It is OK. You can tell me, but without saying it, because you can't say it, you know, and any advice that I got, don't say it. But the point mm -hmm. being then, I mean, I remember being a little bit hurt because he was quite late coming out to me. And I said, why? You knew that we're good with this. Yeah, we knew yeah. that we love you. You know that we have gay friends. It's not like it was this alien thing or a family. And he says, mm. I just needed to sort it in my own head first. Mm. And that meant a lot to yeah. me because I suppose we live in such a heteronormative world that the whole challenge of being part of that minority. Absolutely. And I mean, that was in the 19... Uh, I was going from the 70s, of course, and into the 80s. Yeah. And... Later on, when I did start to tell relations, when I told my mother, my father had passed away before I could tell him, I always felt that, in fact, my father might have guessed there was something up, but he never mentioned oh. it anyway. Um, and I would have loved to have shared myself with him 
but I didn't get the opportunity. But when I sent it to some relations, they said, no, this is only something recent. You can't possibly have been doing this since you were a teenager. We would have known. Well, I'm sorry, gang, you didn't know because I hid it very, very well because I didn't want to let you down. I didn't want to disappoint you. And so for 30 years of my life, I basically hid this from a lot of the relations. I won't go into details as to who I told and who I didn't tell and whatever, but that hurt me a lot. And then not to get the acceptance that I wanted from some within the wider Mm -hmm. family. I mean, I think the thing comes comes to mind, and I think even talking to my own son as well, is the words that come to mind are from that fabulous speech from Panty mm. from the Abbey stage, checking myself, mm. constantly checking myself. And, and I think that even with my own son, you know, he said, you're constantly aware whether you're giving little giveaways in how you sit or stand or whatever. And you know, my son, but it's funny, we look back now on very young photographs and he goes, how gay was I? <laughs> with almost pride. Um, but actually, the funny thing is that he wasn't in that, what people might confuse, you know, that camp sense. Mm. Um, but I don't know, for me, it was more about his softness, his gentleness, his empathy for other people, his noticing other people people's feelings. Do you know, it was very different for me. You know, I mean, I think with other kids, they can be quite obvious. Go on. So you're, you're, that's, you're dying that's to say int- Okay. That's, that's a very interesting way to put it. Okay. I've got a couple of things to say there. One, she's just joined us here um, beside me, Helen. Right. And I won't put words in her mouth, but I've heard it so often that I will. I, <laughs> she often said that before I even told her, she recognized me as somebody who's, who's kind, who was careful, gentle and so on. The words that you use to describe your son are exactly the words that Helen has used to describe me when she got to know me before I told her about myself. And so it's interesting, that aspect of it. I did say this before. I remember saying it during um, marriage equality campaign. I remember saying it to Colm O'Gorman and him saying to me, but maybe he was just a kind, gentle person that could have been straight. And I said, yeah, that's very true, of course. And I don't know whether I'm guilty of doing some sort of putting in a box, but my other son is a doctor and is straight. But I don't know. I just sensed something. I just Mm. knew Mm. that there was something and he still has those qualities. It's interesting. Yeah. The other thing I I would say was uh, just talking about back about uh, how gay your son looked in in early photographs. I have been doing a family project recently where I've been scanning in all my parents' old photographs and sharing them with the wider family and so on. And I've come across some photographs of myself and I swear to God that somewhere deep within my mother's thoughts were that she had two daughters, not a son and a daughter, because you should have seen me in those photographs. I was virtually wearing dresses as a baby. Really? Yeah. But you see, that was a bit of the fashion back then, though. Maybe, you know, some maybe. of the particularly yeah. babies, the, the, the clothes, mm. you know, I mean, you mm. know that at christenings, it's a dress that goes on the boy, but that's kind of interesting. Um, yeah. We kind of have to fast forward in a bit. So you sure, mentioned sure, earlier sure. when you were a child, yeah. you were a nerd and um, your words, not mine, and that you were interested in science, etc. So this fast forwards is us to you going to Star Trek conventions, although I'm not yeah. sure that's really science. Well, <laughs> science, science fiction, science fiction. Um, okay, Star Trek conventions. Um, 
I mean, it was one way to meet girls as well, because a lot of Star Trek fans are girls. And so I kind of fitted in nicely in that. I was encouraged to go to Star Trek convention by a Scottish pen pal who was also pen pals with Helen, because back in the day, as we were growing up, you, as you said, there was no internet. So it was a case of if you wanted foreign friends, you had to write to them. And so I ended up going to a Star Trek convention in Leeds. And that's where I met Helen. And uh, romance blossomed shortly thereafter. And we've stayed interested in Star Trek and science fiction for quite some time. Ever, ever since so then. What, what was it about Helen that drew you to her? Obviously, you have a common interest, but... When we met at the Star Trek convention, I met the Scottish friend and I, I had met a guy the previous night who the four of us just basically stuck around together. And the romance blossomed after a little while when we got to know each other as friends and then one of the things that made me realize that Helen was something really really special was that on the night of the stardust disaster oh, yes. tragedy so I should just explain before we we go because some listeners might not know about mm. this the stardust was a dreadful tragedy it was a disco with people in their teens really late teens yeah. and there was a dreadful fire and the escape exits were locked and mm-hmm. so many many teenagers perished that night uh, it was a dreadful tragedy um here in ireland dreadful it absolutely was and it made international news which is helen in leeds uh, heard about it and rang me immediately just to make sure that now, she, I think she knew that I wasn't the sort to go to nightclubs, but she just wanted to be sure. And she was on the phone the very next night saying, are you all right? Are you OK? And I went, whoa, that's really, really special because none of my other friends had contacted me. So that was... Wow. OK. Yeah. But then again, also, it could have been a, a ruse and excuse to talk to somebody that she fancied madly. <laughs> well, this is it. And I used, to ha- I used to have quite long hair and she always said that she liked my long hair. She's nodding here. Right. Oh, right. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So we kind of track forward and yourself and Helen get married Mm -hmm. and you have your beautiful daughter, Jenny. Jenny, Jenny. A few years later and my parents were wondering. Yes. um, It was nine years after we were married. Was it nine years after you got married? It was, yeah. That was because I was going through an exploration phase for myself as well. We also had a very comfortable life. Helen always wanted kids, but when she kind of hit 30, 31, the hormones, the biological clock started ringing. So we decided to start trying for a child around eight years into the marriage. And Jenny arrived and it was best decision of our lives. Ah, look at the big folks. I wish you could see the smile on (laughs) Philippa's face. So you touched on there that you were exploring, going through Mm -hmm. an exploratory phase. So were you at this point going through the exploratory phase on your own, unbeknownst to Helen? Basically, what happened was pretty early on in 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 our relationship, I realized that Helen was the one for me. So I felt I didn't want any secrets between us. And this was when we were in our early 20s. And again, there wasn't a huge amount of information out there. So I basically said to her, look, I like to dress in women's clothes occasionally. I don't think it's anything serious. Are you okay with that? She gulped a few times. She went, "Um, okay, and we'll see where it goes. So, but as time went on, um, and then once we got married and so on, I had a little bit more freedom. And I 
felt the urge to dress a little bit more, to explore my feminine side a little bit more. But there was never a case of going back at all. There was never a possibility of me stopping. Even though I might try, I, I just couldn't stop. So it was a progression. And did you try? Absolutely. Did you try? Did you feel at that point yeah. it was something you should be stopping? Yeah, yeah. I did. Not so much once we got married. I think I realized that it was a part of me at that stage because don't forget, I was 26, 27. I'd had these feelings, these urges since age 10 or 11. So I had come to terms right. with it within myself. We're still pre-internet days, though. We're still pre, we you know, had you named it in yourself? So certainly I would have grown up with, and I'm saying this in inverted commas because I am so nervous in the current climate of using words that are no longer the correct or mm, acceptable mm, word. Mm. And in this whole sphere, not only do you have words that are unacceptable, even within the community, mm. there's words that people find acceptable and others don't find acceptable. So it is a minefield. But certainly back then, when we're talking about these things, certainly growing up, the term transvestite are cross-dressers. Yes would have been used yeah. and they would have been as you said you even alluded to some of them i mean on television we would have had seen drag queens which is entirely different but i'm trying to explain to people mm. without the internet yeah. <laughs> how limited our exposures were but the exposure that i had to it at that time was seen more on the end of perhaps a fetish that sometimes people like to wear ladies' underwear, you know, as a sexual thing. So that's where it was sort of transvestism. Mm. Rather than understanding that, you know, and I don't, I mean, I can't even remember when I kind of first came across the term transgender, which is an entirely different mm. thing that you perhaps, and I would love you to just take the opportunity to explain what transgender is. Well, I suppose from everybody that kind of has has a different definition of what transgender is it is an umbrella term that's the way i see it it's an umbrella term to encompass all aspects of different gender identities different ways to express your gender from transvestite transvestite and cross well transvestite certainly is a term that's that's no longer really used I think it's but, considered almost medicalized now. Or, yeah, medicalized. Exactly, exactly. And likewise, the word transsexual is something that wouldn't be used. Yes. I suppose the community is conscious of people trying to put us into boxes. Gender is fluid. Gender is a spectrum. Yeah. So there are no boxes for gender. It should be whatever the person themselves feels. So transgender covers all aspects of the spectrum. OK, so in a sense, because I do think that part of the issues and problems and I had a conversation about this the other day is and you'll know I have been an advocate for LGBTQI, mm. you know, rights for a very long time. And I have had from a scientific perspective, uh, you know, I studied human sexuality and very much interested in intersex and in issues around that and problems. And I, I think in a sense for me, and it's very interesting because in another episode of this, I discussed this with somebody else, that for me, the problem comes from our language. Mm. 
because somewhere along the line, we decided to use terms male, female and box people off. Now, of course, if you go back far enough in history, it wasn't always boxed up. And there's huge history of transgender communities, mm-hmm. really, if if you go back. But I've always felt that I was, you know, always trying to think of a solution. Well, we would just need more, multiple, you know, anything, whatever we need. But actually, in John Boyne's most recent book, which um, actually has nothing really to do with any of these topics, but he goes from sort of Roman times to 2080 on a spaceship. Mm. And essentially the spaceship is utopia, his utopia. So there's no social media, (laughs) (laughs) there's no crime, there's no police forces, etc. But really interestingly, there is no gender. It's just humans. And yeah, I had an aha moment. Mm. I thought I'm quite clever and I've thought about these things. But why didn't I just think of that? Do we really need to name genders? Like we don't really. No. And it really set me thinking. And I was curious to know what your response to that is. You're smiling. So Absolutely. I'm guessing you're thinking, yeah. oh. Some people are very keen. And if I'm asked, what do I identify as? I will say female. I will say a woman. Yeah. But when it comes down to it, I mean, I'm human. That's the number one um, aspect of me. I am a human being with lots of flaws, a few good points, you know, but I would hope that I'm a rounded human being with a lot of interests and a lot of things to say and a lot of them, a lot to give back to humanity, which is one of the reasons that I'm keen to appear on, say, a podcast with yourself to tell a story, but to tell a positive story as well. Because so many in our community find it so difficult for the family reasons or work situations or even just general society. And we find it so difficult to just be ourselves. And basically, that's all we want to be. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show and one of the reasons I've struggled, as I said, I was nervous in a way Mm. because... I want to try and show you as the full human being that I know you as. It doesn't enter my head Mm -hmm. that you're transgender when we're out or when we're talking. We're just friends. We're talking about things that are, yes, we might be at LGBT events Mm -hmm. or or whatever, but we will just carry on and talk as if anyone else would. And I kind of have a problem with myself. I had to query myself about doing this episode. I wanted to do this episode because I have become afraid to engage in conversation on on social media around this issue. And that's something I do want to talk to you about Mm -hmm. because I think it's become like a battlefield and I don't think any progress can be made in the midst of a battlefield. We're talking about getting away from binary definitions of sex and gender and all these things. And yet some of the people who are fighting for that are operating in an us and then mode, which won't help us progress. So one of the reasons I did want to do this was, was to put a very human face on it. But also the reason I've had a little bit of a problem with this in myself is so I remember myself and Gavin agreeing to appear on national television in 2015 um, in Ireland. We were canvassing at the time for a change in the laws for marriage equality to allow same-sex marriage. Mm. And for the similar reasons to you, we agreed. I was very, very vocal and very much involved in it. Uh, My son was less so in that it's very hard. He always felt like the Oliver syndrome, you know, please, sir, can I be the same as you? Mm. Um, But he did in his own ways through music. um, And 
we did agree to be interviewed on television for a political show. And I've really set down the boundaries. You know, I set down, look, we are not going to be put up against this or that or put into any cliches. We are a family. We are speaking to show that we are ordinary human beings. And we got very cross because the segment had, we'll say, seven or eight people in it. Right. So it had Sabina Brennan, psychologist, so-and-so, so-and-so, politician, so-and-so, so-and-so, this, that. And then it had Gavin Brennan, gay man. Mm. And I was just so angry when I saw that. And he was so angry when he saw that. He said, hold on, everybody's labelled by their profession and I'm labelled by my sexual orientation. Why? Yeah. So that's why I've had a certain discomfort myself in trying to find this balance because I didn't want to do an episode about Philippa as a transgender. I want to kind of do an episode about Philippa and Helen as inspiring individuals who have overcome certain challenges because of the society and the culture we live in, but who are inspiring and who are more than their gender or the same as everybody else. Do do, do you know? And so... That's been an, a little in, in struggle with me. And that's why I feel sort of nervous about this podcast. Sure, because... sure. I can understand. Um, it is difficult to, to have a civil discussion with some people. Basically, if I am educating people, if I can tell people about myself in a positive manner, then I'm more than happy to. What I have an issue with, what I would have a problem with, would be if somebody doesn't accept me because it's not up to the other person to accept me. I am who I am. (laughs) Live with with it, because I'm not going away. And I had an incident outside a coffee shop in town just a couple of weeks ago. Really? Where I overheard a conversation, and the conversation was between three guys. One guy was outright homophobic, and the other two were kind of laughing along with him. I'm not quite sure how how bad they were. But as they got up from their table, I said, listen, guys, sorry, I couldn't help but overhear your conversation. You might just like to educate yourself a little bit on the issues. I didn't say that I was trans or anything like that. And the guy just turned to me and says, I don't agree with it. And I went, okay, I left it at that. Now, Mm. most of the community that I told said, well done for saying it. Some said you should have gone further and argued with them in the street. And other people said, no, I shouldn't have said anything because it was their private conversation. Well, it was a private conversation out in in the street where I could not fail to hear them. Mm. That is the sort of conversation that I won't let go. I will not let pass. I will challenge. But because I feel that I'm standing up for my own rights, for my own right Mm. to be who I am and for many, many other people within Ireland and the world. If I get respect, then that's fine. But if if I don't get respect, if I don't get somebody who's willing to listen to my to my argument or not, not even my argument, but to listen to who I am, to what it means to be me, then I won't argue with them. I won't go on to Twitter or Facebook or whatever and start conversations or arguments. I want to ask you about that. Yeah. So I am on Twitter. And as I said to you, I mean, I've always been vociferous and 
opinionated and I've never been afraid of an argument. And certainly during marriage equality, we had plenty of them. And I knocked door to door, something I would n- thought I would never do. And I had some of the most horrific things mm-hmm. said to me when me I would say that my son was gay and I just couldn't understand the Oh, the nastiness, the horribleness. Anyway, so I have faced those from that perspective. And as a parent, you'll understand like whatever it is, even when it's about you, when it's about your kid, how (laughs) dare you? Like it's really sort of bad stuff. So I'd never been afraid of that. But I have noticed a change over the last couple of years around um, trans activism and Mm. trans rights. And it concerns me. uh, And I'm curious to know how it makes you feel when... And I'm not talking about trans people. I'm talking about trans allies. And I'm very tempted to put an inverted comma there. And I mean, I'm an ally myself, but people who have just taken it on themselves to call out people or to fight people. And I'm just curious to know how you feel about someone who says they're defending trans rights by threatening to kill people or assault people or Uh, by literally just being nasty. How does that feel for you? And I'm sure you've seen it and come across it. Absolutely. Um, I mean, Sabina, we we need allies. The LGBTQI community need allies. But to threaten violence or to be constantly, constantly harping on about the same issues and and being nasty and threatening people, it's doing more harm than good because it polarizes. And the result, it's, I think you said it earlier, it's it's not helping the issues at all. The only way that we're going to progress is to normalize. And marriage equality, I was out knocking on doors every night for about three or four months. And some of the conversations I had were pretty nasty as well. We did brilliantly. Oh, my God, we did brilliantly to get marriage equality. And then shortly afterwards, the Gender Recognition Act as well. They were two huge moments in my my life personally and indeed my family's life. But we still have a way to go in society. So we need to normalize. Mm. And it is great to see people and just the other day walking down the street a couple of girls hand in hand a couple of guys hand in hand mm-hmm. okay that's dublin that's a cosmopolitan city that's it's not going to happen down in cars probably it might but you would hope that it would in time it's a battle that is continuing and is going to continue for quite some time and one of the things that i talk about is the pendulum and by and we can mm-hmm. certainly see that how pendulum can swing both ways. And unfortunately, in certain countries, it's swinging back to aggression towards back to the dark ages and not accepting. Yeah, I was very proud of the world that I had become a part of where we were really making progress in Ireland, you know, in terms of, um, Mm. because I just see them as human rights. And I'm horrified about what's happening in the world around us. But I believe the reason we had success with marriage equality was because we focused on normality. We were not aggressive. We didn't rise to Mm. debate. Mm. If people said horrific stuff, you responded with, well, no, here's how this is. It's natural. It's just the way it is. It's not Mm. arguments. And for me, I think, and I agree with you, I 
just I'm so fearful that that these almost warrior allies, you see, an ally is someone who's there to support and uplift and, you know, and and to help progress your rights. I don't see as an ally as someone to go out and fight battles on your behalf or cause battles or cause arguments. Mm. That's not helpful. Mm. That, to my mind, is actually just satisfying some sort of need that you have to so-called virtue signal or to say that you're better than somebody else to to call people out. What progress mm. are we making by alienating other people? It is literally just polarizing us again. And that pushes us. It pushes people. If I'm afraid to go online and talk about transgender issues and I'm not trans, how do people who are trans, how do teenagers who are wondering whether they should come out or talk to people, how must they feel observing these kind of conversations. I just, yeah, I, I'm kind of glad to hear that you're kind of of a similar mind to me. We need allies, but we need to progress towards understanding commonality, focusing on our sameness rather than our differences, because we're all human. And that means that we are all 99.9% almost identical. To, you know? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I suppose some hope for the future, though, would be that the teenagers and early 20s, that like students of today, they're so confident in their sexuality and their gender identity. They and their friends don't care about what society see them as. And I mean, there's always a rebellious streak within teenagers anyway. I'm very confident that teenagers and, and youth of today will in fact be able to keep going with the rights and keep progress going because I really do feel that they have the confidence they have the confidence and the knowledge that I didn't have growing up and mm. no I, I see hope for the future. Before you disappear, Philippa, the podcast is about thriving and surviving in life and I usually ask people at the end for their tip you know how is it that they manage to thrive or survive my tips are very very simple just be yourself keep an open mind keep an excitement in your life keep a sense of wonder and that comes from the science fiction nerd in me that comes from the scientist in me you know like the universe the world is such an interesting place and don't don't get caught up in watching soaps every single night or doing the same thing again and again. Try different things all the time. That's how I stay positive and how I stay enthusiastic. And I hope that kind of would help other people as well to just keep an open mind. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. 
That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. I have to say, yeah, that every time every time I've met you, you're just always kind of up and on and upbeat. Um, and I will ask Helen when you're gone, if, is that just that outside? Is that just the outside, Philip? No, but actually, just is, before you go, you just, yeah. you just reminded me of one question I did want to ask you. Can you recall what your childhood dreams were? And have you followed them? Or are there some that you would really love to follow? I would have loved to have been an astronaut, but I, <laughs> I almost have vertigo. I am afraid of heights. So, uh, <laughs> so that was never going to be the case. And I was absolutely convinced that I was an alien as well when I was about seven or eight. And the reason I did was because other people seemed to be hot and I'd be cold and I'd be <laughs> hot and they'd be cold or whatever. And it just seemed like I was definitely from a different planet, which I think a lot of my friends and family might agree with. So I think I'd leave it there. <laughs> And on that note, I've been talking to you for ages and I could talk to you forever, but I'm dying <laughs> to talk to your darling wife. <laughs> Hi, Sabina. Hi, Helen. Hello. I'm going to talk about this in the introduction to the episode um, because I actually met you before I met Philippa. I don't know whether met is the right word. I certainly, I think, shook your hand and congratulated you. I also have the pleasure of being able to revisit the video of you. So you'll know now oh. what I'm talking about. So for listeners, I, as we've alluded to earlier, campaigned for marriage equality, as did both Philippa and Helen and their daughter and hundreds of thousands of people in Ireland. And I was at an event in a hotel in town. There was lots of events going on. This particular one was organized by the Atheist Society of Ireland, and it was a debate. And during the course of the evening, I was sitting up near the front and this woman stood up at the back. And I'm getting chills now. I got chills that evening. And she spoke from the heart. And she spoke with, I really am getting chills. Um, and, and she spoke with passion. And I will share a link to it because it really is kind of a must watch. And basically it was Helen and she just stood up and she said, I have been married for 29 years. And to put it in a nutshell, I couldn't replicate what you said, but she opened my eyes. We were campaigning for marriage equality so that a man could marry another man, a woman could marry another woman. At this point, Philippa had transitioned. Yeah. But Philippa's birth cert still said that Philippa was male. Male, yeah. It still had her sex as assigned at birth. And if you can explain this better to me. Well, if marriage equality didn't come through, to get a gender recognition sticker at that time, we would have had to get divorced because two women couldn't be married. So to gain a new birth cert in her name, and people said, oh, we can't rip up the old birth cert. It wouldn't, it, it, it's locked away, it's just it's not open to prying eyes. But to get that, she would have had to divorce myself. 
And mm. at that time, divorce was due to irretrievable breakdown of marriage. So we had to have lied. And if we had lied, we couldn't get divorced. So we're in a really vicious circle there. So thankfully, obviously, marriage equality passed. But I was trying to put out there a point that other people might not have known. And one thing I do remember is that this issue is not binary. Love is not male, female. Love is not man, woman. Love is not bound by that kind of thing. And that's what they were trying to do. They were trying to say, oh, this is the only way you can do. The negative side was we're not opening their eyes to the fact that there are a lot of issues that are not solved by the X and the Y. Yeah, Um, I really remembered it because it wasn't something that I had realized that you guys were going to have to end up getting divorced. And we've met subsequently on lots of occasions, as I mentioned, and we've been in each other's homes and we've been out to dinner. And yeah. um, I would really like to do that again sometime soon. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> COVID. But That's our exactly. lives have changed incredibly um, over the last few months. What I kind of want to do here, I'm very interested in your story with yourself and Philippa for obvious reasons. But as I explained to Philippa, you know, one of the reasons I have felt strange about doing this podcast is I want to obviously help and show that people are three-dimensional people, blah, blah, blah. But I also don't want to be part of the problem and just focus on one small, well, small or big aspect of your lives, but it still sort of is. And, and so I kind of wanted to give sort of a rounded sense of who you are and, you know, even who you were as a child. So you are, a, I'll say this wrong, radiologist, radiographer. Radiographers take the scan, right. the x-rays or scans. The radiologists are doctors who are, have specialised in reading or interpreting these kind of things. What I do want to do is track back. Tell me a little bit about what you were like as a kid. I was a quiet one. They called me the mole. My teacher lived, yeah, I started at one end of a library and worked my way through. Uh, they knew if they wanted to find me, <laughs> they'd find me with my nose stuck in a book. I was the fourth out of five children, and some of my siblings, especially my younger sibling, were all very out there, and there were a couple of us who were quieter. That's fine, but I, no, I mean, we all got exactly the same love, exactly the same support. Uh, our parents were fantastic for us. But, um, yeah, I was actually quite shy. And I, in some respects, I still am. When I'm out like this in public, yeah, I can be out and, and loud. But if you walked into our house and I was there on my own, it'd be quiet. If you walk in when Philip is there, she's always got music on. She has to have music. I can walk upstairs and find she turned up music in the bathroom. She got music. I'm a person who's very happy, sedentary and quiet. No, I very much can enjoy myself. Yeah, I'm like that too. And it's funny, isn't it funny how sometimes opposites in that regard attract? Because I was talking to another guest and she was saying that difference. And I'm the same. I mean, actually, David and I had to come to an agreement where we removed the radio from from the house because I can't cope with all that noise. You know, I kind of just... I kind of like it. I'm the same as you. I'm sociable when I'm out and I'll talk to people, but I like to be nice and quiet when it's just me at home. And in fact, actually, you have some really interesting hobbies. (laughs) Two come to mind in particular. One of them is something that I would so love to have the time to do, which is genealogy. And you have traced back some incredible uh, roots. 
Yeah, I mean, I think I got roots back to William the Conqueror. I actually did go through it all. And yes, it seemed to be that I was tracing back. And then I realized that everybody else had got it wrong. I got it right. And I can't make that link. Um, this is back in the 1500s. But I did have a 10 times great grandfather who was the steward to George Earl of Shrewsbury, who with his wife. They were the ones who had to look after Mary Queen of Scots while she was imprisoned in all around there. So I've been reading a lot around that era. I've just found out that tracing back through another Yorkshire line, I'm related to somebody who's not very famous. He's called Armigal Wade. He's from Yorkshire. And he actually sailed to the New World, to Newfoundland and Penguin Island in 1536. Way before wow. Columbus got there. Holy Moody's <laughs> Columbus. Oh, and uh, my five times great uncle George Handley moved from Sheffield to Savannah, Georgia. And in 1775, he ended up the next year with the American Revolution. He fought for the Georgian contingent of the Continental Army and ended up becoming the governor of Georgia in 1788. Wow, and, wow. And so you have these amazing explorers and adventurers. It, this it, is what makes it's history in come your alive. blood, Helen. It's what makes history <laughs> come alive. And that's, so that's why I won, that's one reason I love that. I also love crafts and craft making and dolls houses and yes. sewing and all sorts yes, of things. Yes, that is the second. And that's lumping a lot of different crafts in together. You have amazing dolls house and dolls house work and you do needlework. Needlework can encompass a lot of the types of embroidery. So I've done everything from quite large pictures by family tree. <laughs> in wow. Encrustic. Well, it's called the mother tree. I've got a trace back to the 1600s, all the mothers my mother and her mother and their mother and wow. their mother and and that goes back and then i've also done a size of a coin or on the size of my little finger i've stitched bell pulls for the doll's house so i mean oh my goodness if you're looking at the type of personality i am i like the intricacies i like finding and fiddling things out be it with my hands or working through family trees and that whereas deliberate is the one who goes to the big things so you were talking about personalities and contrast. Yeah. I don't go for the big projects. I go for what is something close to me, where she, and, and I, I am just kind of behind her, holding her up as she goes out and does the big projects, fighting for equality and fighting for diversity and inclusion and that. So I think that's what makes us I'm tick. Not- Yeah, yeah, you're a good team, but I'm not so sure I would say you're behind her, supporting her, holding her up. I mean, I think you're you've been way out there and I I would class that speech that I heard as one of those kind of moments that stayed with me and it resonated with me. And it's so funny and and, and Philippa is not going to like this, but as I said, I really remember my very first encounter with you and I don't remember my first encounter with Philippa. I feel so bad about that because I was 
actually trying to remember. I was going to say, because often I say that, oh, I first heard about you, you know, when you're talking to guests, but I actually can't remember. But then that is most probably because during marriage equality, we were going from event to event and we were campaigning and canvassing. And I suspect that I met her first at one of those during a period where we were meeting a lot of people and getting to know, uh, you know, a lot of people in the community who were all advocating and all working towards the same cause. Right. I'm going to kind of move a little bit more forward to your relationship with Philippa. So obviously, when you got married, you were envisaging a completely different future to the one that you have now. Now, that's not all that different from most of us. You know, you're married, I think, a year longer than I am. I think, did you get married in 86? We did, yeah. Yeah, and I got married in 87. So none of our marriages are necessarily, none of our futures, rather, I should say, are necessarily as we might have imagined them. But for you, that change is is hugely different. I mean, you've gone from being a heterosexual couple to now being, and I think you've said this yourself in interviews that I read, to now being a lesbian couple. Yeah, I mean, it's a... If, if you're looking to ask for my sexual orientation, I'm heterosexual, but I'm yes. in love with a woman. So there you go. You see, I never actually did want to go down a defined path. Not really. You know, I expected to, but I was never a person who wanted to go out and jump into massively different things. But to be someone who is a little bit more liberal, a little bit more open-minded, I, I don't know. I was never going to be the one who wanted to just not do things with my life. I didn't want to not make a difference. I didn't want to just go plodding along. I'll go to the supermarket today. I'll do this to that. But I didn't. I, so you wanted to make a difference. I wanted to make it in a more personal way, maybe that rather than I didn't want to make the big gestures. I wanted to make small gestures. Um, oh, okay. I, I, for instance, I um, the level I'm at in my work is what's called clinical specialist. I run a sub department, but I don't run the whole department. And that's because if I had to do, if I'd wanted to move up one more step, I'd have to go into management, and that would take me away from my patients. So the difference I wanted to do was to be with people. And that's what I've always yes. said about my career. Everyone's saying, well, you should have gone for this, you should go on for that. Why didn't you do the, the management course? Because that would have taken me out of the clinical setting. I wanted to make a difference in a way that would be a difference in somebody else's life rather than in everybody's lives. No, it's more personal. Yeah, no, no, I understand that. And I just think that's a really weird thing. And it happens across um, multiple professions. I have a brother-in-law who was fireman and he was absolutely excellent. So they promoted him to station manager where he wouldn't be going out on fires. And it's just such a funny thing to do. Management is a very particular skill set, you know, and I talk a lot about on this podcast, you know, about finding your thing, your Zen, the thing that makes you feel good about yourself, the thing where you lose yourself. And it sounds to me like you know yourself well enough that you know that you want to make a difference one to one in people. And it's very similar to how you pass your time with your crafts and with your genealogy. And in yeah. a way, the huge difference that you've made in Philippa's life and for me, as I've met and known you, and I only know you maybe about five years, but Philippa is, to me, as I said earlier, you know, an incredibly happy individual. She just seems, it's like life is good. You know, yeah. things have worked 
out so well for me. I mean, it's like she constantly singing it from the rooftops in a lovely, joyous way. And having just spoken to her now, because I'd never spoken to Philippa about her childhood or her past, and I never knew any of those details. And I didn't particularly think, you know, that, you know, I know you now as who you are now and and that's my friends and so I've learned some new things about Philippa's past through this interview and I suppose that now gives me even a greater context as to why she feels so joyous and free it's just like this it's kind of yeah yeah it's a lovely thing to be around but the thing is you have played such a huge role in that. She could not be that happy person without what you've done. And I could say, you know, in terms of without your support, but it's been much, much more than your support because this hasn't been easy for you. Um, No, 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 no. no. You have to say that out loud. Oh, no, no, no. This is not just an easy. This is a wonderful, almost fairy tale happy end when we talk at this end. But this is a journey. And maybe you might just share a little bit of that journey. Well, as you know, when we're back, I'm not going to go all through the Star Trek era and everything like that. But I loved Philippa's confidence when she was younger. No, when we first met, uh, when she was in a male persona, I loved the confidence. As she said, and as I've said, very gentle person, because we could talk. We love to talk and we love to walk and we love to chat and everything like that. And in a way, maybe I was a little in love with the idea of being in love, but then it built into more into, into being in love because we knew each other as friends well before we knew each other as a couple. Yeah. And she is the one who gives me confidence on things, to be honest. It wasn't an easy courtship. I was training in the UK. She was over here in Ireland. We saw each other roughly about every six weeks and about week five in, into the separations, I would kind of start thinking, is this the right thing? was far apart. I got to do my exams coming up and things like that. And there was one point where I was thinking maybe we should stop because I felt like every time we met up, I was having to relearn who she was and she was having to relearn who I was. Thankfully, we had a good talk and we got past that point uh, to the point where when I did qualify, I moved to Ireland. The only job I could get was in Cork. And so it wasn't every six weeks, it was every weekend. Either I travelled to Dublin, she'd come down to Cork. But at that point, you were a heterosexual couple. Yeah. Um, We had, you know intimacies and things like that where she said that she as she said herself she felt like she wanted to dress a little differently and things like that but those kinds of intimacies can happen in any marriage and you know yes absolutely yeah so um i wasn't too worried we have different memories of this i didn't understand or didn't know and then she said no internet no way of knowing that she felt more feminine than I actually thought she did. Now, I thought, oh, right, she's a, a very gentle person. She's very, very kind and calm and and that. And I enjoyed seeing that side, that feminine side of the man. Um, but I hadn't fully understood, I don't think, that she actually was female. And then she didn't. So we, it was a, this is something that people think, I was told and that was it. It wasn't. We actually, I think one thing that's helped us during the marriage is that 
we learn together. Yes. Uh, at some point, she was zooming ahead of me. Other points, I was trying to catch up. And those were the times of contention when she mm. was running. Um, like literally, she said, I think I'll run in a marathon. Fine. Yeah, the Dublin Women's Marathon. And I'm going, what? What? <laughs> <laughs> no, it was catching up on that reflection and catching up. And mm. I was just saying, you have to give me a chance to follow. I, I just can't go at the same pace as you. I have to slow down. And it was difficult to open my eyes. And she was learning so many things once the internet came and so forth. I mean, for people who don't understand, this was booting up a computer with a floppy disk time. And mm. when you were on the internet, you were seeing little orange figures going across the screen. I mean, I remember I sent a message to somebody in America and I was absolutely stunned to get one back within minutes. And I was going, because this is the era of pen pals and the old airmail letters you used to send and things like that. So it's a bit difficult to understand. And it's probably a bit difficult, especially if any of you younger watchers, where you can open the phone and you can see the world on your phone. Nothing. We had one phone call a week yeah. on a Sunday night. That was it when we were, when I was over in England. We're all learning to cope with the modern world, but learning to cope with the modern world and finding out your partner's actually female is not easy. Yeah, I think people do sort of have that sense um, that it's this big, you know, and we, we hear so much about coming out, you know, and, and people kind of coming out to their family about being gay or trans or whatever. And I suspect that a lot of people say, looking at your relationship, saying, oh, gosh, what was it like? When did it happen? And I think you've kind of explained that very well and that it was very gradual. You were learning. And I, and I think what's interesting as well and I think this happens a lot of us just in normal communication and in, in in everyday communication, I should say, and in everyday relationships where one person says something and another person hears something and they're not necessarily the same things. And I think that happens all the time and it all happens in lots of aspects of our lives. There's that moment in Friends, got the keys. <laughs> I don't know if you know that episode is where you got the keys and the other one says got the keys. And what one means is, have you got the keys? And what the other one thinks they mean is I've got the keys yeah. and they don't. And so you have this situation where they're locked out. And I think it happens in so many aspects of our lives, but it's huge in your aspect. So Philippa feels that she told you that she had a feminine side, meaning, you know, I think I'm more female than I am male. And you're thinking, gosh, I've got a husband who has a lovely feminine side. And they're yeah. two very different. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that, is, that, that, is that accurate? I think that's pretty accurate from my point of view. Two sides of the story, not quite gelling in that respect. But there's also the thing of when they started to realise what was going on and we were still looking forward to being parents. We, we actually did make a decision not to try too early. I think I want a child earlier than perhaps Philippa did. But we were going to various events. We went to America, we went to Netherlands. We were travelling, not widely. So when you say various events, were these transgender events? No, no, no this was all science fiction. No? This was way before the site, before... This was just, before. oh, right, okay, okay. Yeah, we weren't, we weren't, no, we were enjoying life, let's put it like that. And then probably about seven years in, I wanted a child, and then we were waiting, and Philippa was starting to become more involved or understanding of who she was 
and when Jenny was born, it seemed to be a time when, as she was getting maybe into nearly a year old, Philippa was finding out more about who she was. Philippa was getting more information on the internet and from support groups and things. And I wasn't quite there yet because I was there with, with a nine-month-old baby thinking, what's happening? It suddenly, to my mind, it suddenly seemed to be, hang on, she's racing ahead and I'm trying to have the baby, keep the mother-in-law at bay, you know, in terms of let not tell anybody what you're feeling. Yeah. But she was making the connections and I hadn't realised or hadn't been realising how fast things were going on her respect. She was getting out there and I wasn't. Just knowing Philippa, it's excitement. It's, oh, there's this new project. And, you know, aside from all of this, so I can just imagine what this was like. And I also can imagine if, if you somehow try and put yourself in her shoes to have been in this scary place for years with no idea who you are or there's no access to knowledge of information. And then suddenly, as you said, the Internet opens up. And you can suddenly find this information and you can just imagine that it's I, I can almost see it, except the Internet wasn't that fast back then. Like, oh, my God, it says this. Oh, I have that. Oh, oh, my God. I, oh, 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 oh. And they, they're the same as me. And oh, I had that. And I can just imagine that sort of excitement from her perspective. But then I can also imagine you sitting there going, what, what? Hold on, hold on a second. And I totally get that. And did you feel, I mean, did Philippa try to rein some of that in? Did she try and hold up and let you catch up? I can't tell you how many times she, I heard her saying that she tried to stop and she couldn't. So many times she said, look, I'll stop this. You know, I'll push it all away. I'll put it away. And it was those moments I was thinking, she's not going to be able to do that. If I was finding it too hard, I would say, slow down. She said, oh, no, if you want, I will stop completely. And I'm going, that's not going to happen um, because it will break her. It will break her. Mm. She will not be able to do that. And it's going to snap the marriage even more. It was tense at times. Mm. Other times we were fine. But it was tense at times. And I mean, there was tears. And there were, I wouldn't say raised arguments because we're not a couple that does a lot of, you know, raising voices and things in the house that doesn't happen but no we've had each of us going into a corner going <laughs> and we had the daughter to think of at this time this was just yes. growing up and what we did and what we purposely did on both sides whether together or ourselves is protect Jenny protect our daughter yes Jenny was three years old when her grandfather died when Philippa's father passed away oh Philippa's father yeah, okay no, mine had passed away some years before that and my family knew nothing because they were over in England and I wasn't telling them yet. Yeah. And so over here, it was a matter of everything quiet. Don't let anybody know. Jenny's family, Jenny's friends, they do not need to know. Philippa's mother. We were trying not to let anybody know. If Philippa was going out to meet friends, she'd go out, she'd dress, she'd change. But she always changed back before she came home. So there were quite a few nights when she was changing in somebody's car on the way home to make sure that when she came in the house, even though Jenny was small, even as she grew up, she was in bed and that it was trying not to let anything like that happen. Um, Can I just track back there a bit, Helen? Because I did read an interview that you both gave, I think it was in uh, GCN. And 
I think in that, it was something that jumped out at me. I think in that, Philippa talks about her first night going out, I suppose, fully dressed as a woman and described as this wonderful, amazing night, best night of her life or something. And all I'm thinking is, where are you? You weren't with her? No. So there was no question that you would go out with her. Was that your choice or her choice or was it something that she had to do? It was your choice. It was my choice. For a long time, I did not want that side of her being in the house in respect of go out, meet your friends, have that part of you there. But I don't want to be involved at all. Okay. It would be a long time before I would actually meet any other trans person. Okay. So these friends were friends in the trans community. Yeah. The friends she was going out with, the friends in the trans community. She made some beautiful friends. She got friends from back then that she still has. I know them now and I love them. But I didn't want to know. I didn't want that part of her life coming into the house. And it was hurtful for her, but it was it was almost self-protection for me. I think it was a matter of I could say, no, I didn't want to be involved because I thought this will protect me. And maybe, maybe I thought it would go away. I knew it wouldn't really. But, you know, if you ignore something, you're hoping it's not going to happen. Yeah, kind of out of sight, out of mind. And you have to self-preserve at certain points. And I think there's times where we know just how much we can cope with. And I suppose that's what's so interesting and inspiring in a way about your story is that it isn't all lovey-dovey and and sweetness and nice. You absolutely love each other, but you went on this really, really challenging, difficult journey together. And you have been very honest about how you felt. And I think that's really, really important because I think sometimes it can be very hard for somebody else who's going through something that you're going through and thinking that other people can do this okay how come I can't you know so I think your honesty is can make just such a huge difference for people who are I think you know it's very very challenging in the society we live in to be part of a trans community but I think it's also very challenging to be in your position and I don't think that gets as much sort of consideration, I suppose, is what I want to say. Yeah, and, and to be honest, there are a lot of marriages that just break down completely. Yeah. But there are some that survive. And we have, there's quite a lot of us who are out there who survive. And I've met Is there? And, and, and do you know of that? Yes. There's... I know at least two or three couples. Um, I mean, we don't really socialise, but I know that they had to go through it and are still going through it. And um, it depends on the individual. There's no guidelines on this at all whatsoever. But getting to the point of acceptance, I remember one time the Transgender Europe came across and she said, will you please come and meet them? And I did. And I actually had a great night. And I think that was one thing that clicked to start to say, hang on, this is going to be okay. I met the the people in the trans community and I was thinking, yeah, maybe this is the way we're going to go. But you do say a lovely thing and you've said it a few times in a few interviews. And I think it's something that's important to remember in any relationship. You know, you say you married the person, not a gender. I suppose that kind of applies in lots of ways. I want to ask you a couple of questions just before we go. Uh, One being childhood dreams. Well, I was always told by my family that when I was small and they said what I wanted to be, I said I wanted to be a mother. That's when I was. Oh, 
<laughs> I got that dream and I got the perfect girl, so I'm happy with that. Um, oh, she's the most amazing daughter as well. And, and, and that's actually something that's so important to acknowledge. I remember when we were campaigning for marriage equality and all those things, uh, people were saying, oh, but what about the children and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But it just shows you that you've got this incredibly successful, well-rounded beautiful daughter who has been part of this whole journey from quite a young age. She's from, from about the age of 10, she she was she aware. From the age of 10, she knew. We supported her with Ed in the background. Poor Philippa missed her secondary school because Philippa kept back. I have, I was the one who went to all the parent-teacher meetings and things like that because Philippa did not want to out Jenny as being the daughter of somebody who was transgender. So... I, do you know what? Though? I I didn't know that, and that's something nope. that jumped into my head earlier. What did they do for parent-teacher meetings? So you just went. I went. It was a decision we made that Philippa was very very protective. She said, "I'm not going to do that." I think we went to one place she was in, and people were saying, "Who's who's that woman sitting with Jenny's mom?" With and Philippa her- was androgynous, and she was not dressed as a woman. Yeah, but you know, it's a matter of they could see that she was more feminine yeah and not many of them had met jenny's other parents so it was a little difficult right. to add, but it was quite sad in that respect and hopefully people in the future who might be going through this people will be more accepting yeah have parents to have yeah. access to the joys of being no, a parent of a teenager. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And I will let you go now if you tell me your advice about surviving and or thriving in life. Well, I could always say expect the unexpected. I mean, basically, <laughs> so, so th- this is it. Expect the unexpected. Do not go into your life as a person who has it all planned out because it's not going to happen. So there are very, very few people who plan their lives and life has a way of turning back on itself. I expected to be normal suburban mom, maybe two, three kids, and never doing interviews like this. But uh, that didn't happen, and it's just fun. It's been fun. It's been getting out there. Philip has made me more confident about talking like this. Many times I would have said, no, I wouldn't have done that in the early days. But it came to us both that we had the chance to get out there and talk about our lives and, and help people, we hope. So my advice is don't dig into a one track. Leave your mind open, leave your life open, and you never know how it's going to work out. You just keep going. Yeah. I was once described by a teacher as being phlegmatic, so that's me. I'm phlegmatic. I just keep going. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much to both of you. It was so lovely to talk to you. And I think both of you are making a huge difference to people's lives, to a lot of people's lives. Um, Huge thanks to Helen and Philippa for speaking so honestly. Two really inspirational individuals and an incredible couple. I really do hope that through conversations like these, that we can make progress towards the normalisation that Philippa spoke about. I'll share links to support lines in the show notes. If you've been affected by any of the issues discussed in the episode, please call them or reach out to somebody that you can trust. And if you think it would help, hey, feel free to send me an email on info at superbrain.ie. The terminology and language around trans and other sex and gender issues is constantly evolving. And as a consequence, it can be 
really quite confusing. So I figured that it might be helpful to devote Thursday's booster shot to talking through some of the trans terminology. So don't forget to tune in and please do share this episode widely. My name is Sabina Brennan and you have been listening to Superbrain, the podcast for everyone with a brain. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com.